Hello and welcome into Overtime Radio. Thank you for joining us here on this Friday, February 19th, recording for Quinnipiac University. I'm Tom Krasnowski alongside Jordan Wolf, and this is Overtime. Jordan, are Daytona 500 picks? They didn't exactly go according to plan, did they? Well, if you're talking about plans there, Tom, it was a seven-hour race with about 3,000 delays. Um, and my guy, Chase Elliott, was actually in the final lap to win the race. So once again, the man, the face of NASCAR, Chase Elliott, was in the final lap to win the, the race. Face Unfortunately, uh, face of NASCAR, Atlanta, Georgia, 24 years old, absolute diamond, okay? Um, absolute chick magnet, I think. But he, uh, you know what? He was in the final lap of the race, and then some dude I've never heard of named Mike McDowell uh, took it upon himself to win that race. So, no, it didn't go according to plan. Um, just one thing that didn't work out, but I'm sure that when we pick stuff again, me and you, it will work out in the future. Yeah, my guy, uh, Marty Truex Jr., successful career. He just has never won Daytona. He's won a championship. He's he's uh, won other big races. I think he has the most wins uh, over like the last three years. I think I saw in an article, which is actually pretty impressive. But he just can't win Daytona. It's like the one thing that's been eluding him uh, time and time again. So I'm gonna keep picking him because he's a he's he gets lots of wins. And he, he's got a championship. He just, this, this race, for some reason, something seems to always go wrong for my guy uh, in, the, in the Daytona 500. Yeah, just remember last year and now this year. Uh, if you pick him again next year, if we're do, still doing I mean, the I show, will. <laughs> maybe he'll get your time to charm. But we'll see what happens. And speaking of things that happened over this past week, after a win, a man who's known to really not be afraid to share his opinions in the Warriors forward, Draymond Green, once again, did the same thing as he went off to reporters unsolicited about the NBA's treatment of its players. He cited that he doesn't appreciate the Cavs demanding Andre Drummond sitting out of the game due to the organization working on a potential trade. But however, he also called fans for criticizing James Harden's effort during his last days in Houston. So Tom, does Draymond have a valid case about a double standard that's taking place within the parameters of the NBA? Uh, yes and no. I feel like uh, parts of his message were truthful. Parts of it, though, uh, were either glossing over other information or or uh, not entirely correct. But parts of it are true. I mean, it's definitely just just a function of how we are as sports fans. It seems that when a player requests a trade, he's viewed almost as like a traitor or whatnot, or he quit on the team. But if a, if a team wants to trade a guy, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's looked at that differently. I mean, it's kind of always been that way, and we don't really ever question why. Uh, um, we, we, we wouldn't question why because we're not the player in that situation. So it is interesting to think about it that way. I mean, yes, there is a, a double standard that way, but I had a, a couple issues with the way Draymond went about it. I mean, first of all, it was unsolicited. Secondly, listen, we're talking about Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin sitting out to protect trade value. That's very different than... Uh, James Harden legitimately quitting on his team and sabotaging his team on the way out there. Overweight, COVID sabotage. Uh, you know, he knew what he was doing without, without the mask wearing, not giving his full effort. I mean, those things are, you can't defend that. So I do think Draymond was uh, guilty of, of, of overlooking all that stuff. I mean, he's a player's guy, of course, he's a player. And he overlooked that. I mean, it, it, no reason. I don't think James James Harden did everything wrong to get out of Houston. Um, you know, and I think that... Um, you know, some of his wording was a little harsh. And, you know, the thing is, I mean, you know, if you're, if a player wants to leave, if an employee wants to leave, he has every right to it. He's got to, you know, he puts in his two weeks and he leaves. You don't just quit. You know, you, you don't just walk out, you know? And, and I think that in that case, uh, you know, I think some of it got a little lost in transition there, but uh, you know, some of it was, was truthful. It, it did get me thinking, um, you know, why, why are we looking at it differently? 
But yeah, it's so much, some of, uh, typical here. Some of what Draymond says holds water. I think some of it, though, was a little out of proportion. And if that's not the Draymond Green experience, I don't know what is. No, that was, that was all very eloquently said. I, I think what Draymond Green is doing here is kind of eloquently stating the unwritten norms of basketball. I don't know how um, eloquent it was. <laughs> he, he is verbalizing the unwritten norms of basketball, okay? When it comes to this stuff, we see that most of the time it's we want the big players to play. We want, okay? And what he's saying is that if it's a superstar level like James Harden, we're going to be not afraid to criticize because of the attention that he's got himself from the good play on the court. And also, with a guy like Andre Drummond, we're, we're just going to kind of let it slide by because he is not as good as James Harden. I think that is definitely true. But what I also think is that James Harden was also at fault during his own time in Houston where he went to a club without a mask. He just purposely did things. He gained a lot of weight. He purposely did things to do that so he didn't want to play there anymore. With Andre Drummond, he actually wants to play. He wants to enhance his value, but the organization is not letting him do that. So there is a point to be made there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, typically, you know, hey, Draymond, you can always count on him to voice his opinion. But why don't we dive into the actual trade rumors, the guys who are on the block and are being held out of games, um, you know, perpetually to be traded. Uh, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Uh, we didn't talk about Griffin as much, but he's also on the block. Uh, his, he might be a little more difficult to trade because he's been he's been worse than Drummond, quite, quite frankly. And he's got a harder contract to deal as well. Um, but they're both on the block. Um, first of all, Jordan, what kind of value uh, do either of these players provide right now? Uh, w- would you want to add either of those players to, to a contending team right now or a team on the bubble? Do you think that they could provide any kind of value that, that could be worth bringing on such a big name at a big cost? I, I think more so for Blake Griffin than I do for Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond right now in his career is good at one thing, and that's rebounding. That's pretty much about it. Everything else I wouldn't want to – uh, bring him and we're seeing right now that a lot of teams are poorly interested but they're not but the Cavs want to trade him but they're not getting the value that they may want so they might buy him out there's something to me with Andre Drummond that's a bit that raises my eyebrow there's, there's something off okay with Blake Griffin he's kind of transformed his game from the whole lob city thing with LA to now what he is in Detroit and that's kind of a three-point shooter and everything comes after that so you know what I wouldn't actually mind having Blake Griffin on my bench I wouldn't necessarily put him in my starting rotation but if there's a team out there that's like right on the bubble and they want him to kind of come off the bench and maybe play some minutes there. I, I don't see why that's a bad move. I don't know if you looked at the numbers for Blake Griffin, buddy. I don't know if you're aware. I, look, look, this man, okay, I, Even if his numbers are bad, I, I still think I would rather have him than Andre Drummond on my team. Well, I think the complete opposite. I, I don't understand why anybody would want Griffin at this point. He's making more money, first of all. So you're not going to have a guy like that come off your bench at, at max salary. Uh, last two years in Detroit, it's only been 38 games, but that's part of the story too. He hasn't been available um, over the last two years much. And when he has played, he's shooting he's shooting uh, 36% from the floor. You mentioned he's shooting more threes as well. He's not particularly good at them. He's shooting under 30% from three. Uh, his rebounds have gone way down uh, and, and he's making max money. He's also, he's 32 in a month. Andre Drummond is actually incredibly Still only 27, which is honestly wow. kind of surprising because uh, he came into the league so young out of UConn. He came in at uh, age 19 out of UConn. 
so he's an old 27, but I think he's got much more in the tank than Griffin. And he doesn't make as much, which makes him a little easier to trade. He still makes a lot of money. And you mentioned the rebounding. Yes, I mean, that's what he's always been the best at. He's, he's one of the best in the league at rebounding. He still can score in the paint, too, um, at a very high clip. Uh, his percentage has gone down a little bit. But Drummond is a guy, I think, that uh, you could plug him in with a, with a guard and get more value out of him than a guy like Griffin, who uh, I think he's toast, quite frankly. But um, why don't we talk about potential suitors uh, for both guys? Why don't you go to Griffin first? Because he seems to be more your guy. Who could be a good, uh, a good fit for Blake Griffin? I, there's a couple teams that come to mind for me. One of them could potentially be the Celtics. And the other one could potentially be the Spurs. I say Celtics because I think right now with all the injuries that they've kept on getting, I don't think it would hurt to have him come off the bench there and kind of help balance out what they have on the floor. And they don't have a lot of size in that team either. They're very small. So his size would help there. And Spurs, they're a type of team that, you know what, they they have who they have. But I think, again, he'd be a really good addition off the bench to kind of help Aldridge and help DeRozan. So. I wonder too, maybe the Grizzlies could be an option because Ooh, they do have a center. I like that. I like they have that. a center that they like with Alan Shunas, and they have a, a couple of guards they like, of course, with Morant. They're missing that sort of maybe uh, the wings, and Griffin could be a wing that's available that could help them. Um, and as for Drummond, see, the Nets obviously are the they're the big they're the big one that makes the most sense. It's just a matter of if they can agree on the money, or maybe ultimately they release Drummond if they can't trade him, and the Nets have to sign him in a buyout. That could happen. Um, the Celtics, you mentioned, they also could use a big man. Um, but in terms of trade, uh, if see the Nets and Celtics is probably more of a buyout. If they were to trade right. Drummond, I wonder if um, one of those bubble teams, like the Hornets or the Kings, could get in the running oh, because they don't have big men. They don't have big men that I that, that really scare me. The Hornets are reasonably close in the East still for for a playoff spot. Their big man is either Bismack Bayambo or Cody Zeller, so they could use an upgrade there. And the Kings. You know, they, they, they could use a, a, a center to pair with De'Aaron Fox. You know, it's, it's not the, it's not a great combination, but it's, it's a winning combination, I think, to get him into a playoff spot potentially. So maybe those are a couple options too. I think Drummond could be interesting too. It all comes down to money though um, and how that works out. A couple of contenders into these teams and a couple of uh, non-contenders that are on the bubble. We'll see if uh, – Griffin and Drummond, where they end up going and how it ends up working out. But we mentioned the. Wait, can, uh, can we just go over the uh, the Nets lineup potentially with Andre Drummond because that's really fascinating to me. If you were to have DeAndre Jordan, Andre Drummond, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden all in the same lineup, how how egocentric is that? Like that that's got to be one of the most like reality TV show lineups I've ever seen in my life. Just put the Kardashians in the front row. I think we got something working there. So you wouldn't have to worry about rebounding anymore, which is a big issue. For oh, 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 okay. It's a big issue for them. They can't rebound on the floor and Drummond would help. Oh, them. I thought you meant something else, but okay. No, uh, let's move right past that and uh, go with a uh, couple of young stars, Pelicans and, and Grizzlies had Zion versus Ja on Tuesday. Uh, it's their matchup that, and it happens a couple times a year, but this one was national TV. So we got people talking about it a little bit more. Pelicans won very easily. Uh, and, and Zion has, has, has been popping off recently. The Pelicans have gotten back in it a little bit. Uh, they did just lose last night, but they have now gone to the point where, where are they now? They're uh, a game out of 10th place, which is the bubble. You get into the bubble uh, at 10th. So they're a game out of an invite. Uh, and the Grizzlies are there as well. They're at 9th. 
So neither of these teams are in the playoffs with their big star, their big young star. So the question now is who would you rather have on your team, Jordan, to try and build around? This was a debate when they were drafted a couple of years ago. Let's it's- revisit it. Zion Williamson or Ja Morant. This is so tough. Um, I know Zion's having a spectacular season and I know his minutes have been increased and things like that, but I would personally pick Ja just because I don't know how often you can, obviously both these guys, you don't know how often you can find exactly what they do, but with Ja, I don't know how often you can find a guy that can just kind of facilitate the floor and take care of everything at the top of the key. It's so hard to find someone like that. And with Zion, he's still a little bit too raw for me. He can't really shoot the ball too well. Not saying that Ja can shoot extremely better, but for me, there's something that gravitates me towards Ja more than Zion. So see, for me, I like the guy who's a, um, would you call a generational superstar kind of ability? You always take the talent. And for me, that's Zion Williamson easily. Uh, I saw a stat the other day on his 13 for 16 from the floor uh, against the Grizzlies. He became the only player in league history to average 23 points or more on 60% or better from the floor through his first 50 games. That's part of the thing. He's only played 50 games, but he's shooting over 60% from the floor because he's not really shooting it. He's, but he's so proficient at driving to the rim. Uh, he's kind of eliminated that three point shot this year. It's not a big part of his game. I don't think it needs to be, um, you know, he, he needs to get better at free throws and he has this year. He's improved his free throw percentage, eight points from last year to this year. He's drawn them at a great, great uh, rate. You know, he rebounds the ball. He's a great scorer. And Ja, he's a he's a classic point guard. He's 6'3", 174. He, he drives. Um, he's a great playmaker. He can dunk, too, which is really interesting for a guy that size. Um, but Williamson just – I think that's – there are other Ja Morants out there. There aren't too many other Zion Williamsons. I mean, this is a guy we're talking about in the same play style almost, but not as good a playmaker, but similar in ways to Tiana uh, Kumpo or Simmons. You know, he's an all-time great potential scorer inside the paint. I think maybe you can – got to work with that. Uh, the Pelicans can find a way to mask his weaknesses the same way the Bucks and Sixers have tried. I, I, I take Zion still. Okay. It's an interesting debate, you know, because I would personally want either one of them on my team. But yeah, just true. because of the reasons that I stated, I would – for now, I would choose John Morant because, again, there's – I, even though Ja just recovered from an injury, I still have a bit more dur- durability concerns with Zion than I do with Ja. Yeah, I, you know, let's talk about a couple teams that I mentioned, actually, uh, at, at Auxiliary here, the Bucks and Sixers. They actually lost a combined eight of their last nine. Um, wow. And the Bucks have lost five straight. The Sixers did get off that uh, losing streak schneid, but they still have lost uh, a bunch in a row. Um, which streak... Are you more concerned about, if any, the losing for uh, the Bucks lost five in a row or the Sixers have lost four out of five? Which one concerns you more or do neither concern you? I, I think I would go with the Bucks one concerning me more because Giannis in the offseason, right? He sa- he signed this whole big contract and stated how that the Bucks were his home and that was his place they wanted to play. And he said that he he threatened to leave. They didn't get more help. And for some reason, he thought they did get more help by just trading away uh, Eric Bledsoe for Drew Holiday. I, again, I, I am really concerned about the depth and the longevity of that team. I think Giannis has to carry all the pressure. I don't think they have enough depth around him. And I also think that at some point you got to look at Mike Budenholzer too and say, has he done enough for that team? Has he really elevated him to that? Have they gotten to the playoffs? Yes, but they haven't gotten past the second round. I believe, you know, or they haven't gotten past second round in a long time. So for the Sixers, 
Uh, you don't want to see them losing games like this, but at the same time, I, I still think that they'll recover and rebound because I still like what they have on the floor with Simmons and Embiid, and Embiid's play has increased up to here, and they still have a lot of good shooting around them. So I'm a, I'm a lot more concerned with the Bucks. Me too. Um, similar reasons. The Bucks did make it. Uh, to the third round that year to the Raptors, but they got they okay. they blew a lead, quite frankly. I and mean, they were up two to uh, they could have been up two nothing in the series, and uh, they, they blew that lead. You know, the, the thing is, they're getting great play from Middleton, uh, who we've been hard on in the past. He's been terrific for them. Um, Giannis has kind of been himself this year, uh, which I mean in a good way. But the thing is, we've said it before, everything else is still the same. I look at Drew Holiday's stat line and it's nothing to me that Eric Bledsoe couldn't put up. I mean, it's probably a little better on D, and I like him more in a late-game situation. It's, he's a good player, but he's not the great player they need in, in the half court, I don't think. And, and Lopez, he's getting older. Uh, he's, not, I, you know, I don't, he's not quite the same as he once was. He's getting older. His rebounds are down. Uh, you know, Dante DiVincenzo is still a starter for them. I think they could do better. I think they need a couple better pieces on the bench. We've talked about this. That's more concerning to me. It's the first time since 2017 that they have lost five plus games in a row. And that, that, wow. that's concerning to me because the Sixers, you know, they, they, there's a couple of reasons for it. It was a tough road trip. Simmons was out for a couple of the games. I think Embiid was out for one, you know, the Bucks, they had their guys. They just didn't execute. I, that, that's a little concerning to me that the Bucks still look the same. Because they're supposed to be this team or their top three team in the East. And I just don't know if they like, cause now you have the Sixers up there. I believe you have the Celtics up there. I think they're still in the third seed. Uh, I'll double check that. But they are. The Nets are too. Like the a, Nets are too, by the way. Right. Okay. But they're not playing like a top team in the East is what I'm trying to say. Yes. No, for sure. The Bucks. the Bucks are, um, you listen, they're supposed to be the best team in the East, quite frankly. Um, not, not only top three, you said that. I think they were supposed to be the best team in the East. The Sixers were not supposed to be uh, coming into the season and the Nets yeah, they they have a legitimate case, but they, something's been holding them back at times as well. They've been better lately. Uh, you know, something's holding back these Bucks. Yeah, it's uh, these Bucks too. It's strange. But uh, one team who hasn't been held back very much at all. We haven't talked about them. It's the Phoenix Suns. Uh, in credit, they're seventeen and ten. They're fifth in the West. This is easily. I mean, this is their best year since. Oh, geez, I don't even have. I have to go back to probably when they got Shaq. Uh, at the de- uh, at the deadline so that year, 2009 maybe is that? Yeah, this is their best year in ten years, um, and they, they got it all going on right now. Uh, Chris Paul has been a big time addition to them for them. Uh, Devin Booker, I don't think he's been having. I'll try to get his numbers. I don't think he's been having an elite shooting year, uh, but he's he's uh, he's been he's been producing for them in volume. He's been shooting around his career norms: 35 percent from three, 48 uh, percent from the floor. You know, that's, that's a good shooter. Uh, they can they can live with that, especially with Chris Paul setting him up. And uh, I think the big thing for me, though, with the Suns, it's been impressive to me. And I noticed this because I was watching a Sixers-Suns game. Um, the, the Suns won, uh, to their credit. The Suns play great defense. They, they, they are across the board. Terrific defensive team. And I don't know if enough people talk about that because you look at them and they don't have too many lockdown defensive guys other than, I guess, uh, Jay Crowder. They're fourth in terms of points against. They are... Uh, where are we? The second in blocks, they are uh, 12th in opponent's field goal percentage, which is top half. And they are third at allowing the fewest three-point attempts and second, the fewest three-pointers made. So they eliminate the three ball and they don't foul you uh, inside either. 
they're a great defensive team. We all talk about the Chris Paul effect. That's probably the easy answer to what's been the change for them. And there is some weight to it, but the defensive improvement is something that I think has really fallen under the radar. I had no idea until I kind of saw it. Then I looked at the numbers and I was like, there might be something to this, uh, particularly when you look at maybe the, the trailblazers who are the exact opposite. They're all offense, no defense. You wonder if a team like the Suns might be able to, you know, give the trailblazers a bit of a run in a potential playoff series with a defense like that. I think that is highly possible. So I have some numbers here for you. The last time the Phoenix Suns made the playoffs, okay, it was the 2009-10 season. Mm-hmm. Alvin Gentry was their head coach, and they lost in the Western Conference Finals. So that's how long it's been since they made the playoffs. I was I was on almost really close to it, surprisingly. But with what I see with the Suns this year and what I'm looking at right off the bat, I'm seeing that they have – how many? One, two, three, seven guys averaging double figure points. That is really impressive. And those guys, besides Booker, Paul, and Aiden, happen to be Mikhail Bridges, a nice young player. Jay Crowder, obviously a nice player off the bench. Cameron Johnson, nice young player out of North Carolina. And your former man, uh, Dario Saric there, Tommy. Yes, must be the homie. That. That's right. So this team has so much depth, and, and as well as you really touched on the defense. So as long as those two things continue to go up, I think this team has got – it can give a lot of teams in the playoff a really big run for their money, almost kind of like the Nuggets or the Mavericks did last year to in the bubble to the Clippers. A credit to Monty Williams. Uh, he's yeah. a, He spent a year with the Sixers as their assistant coach, and people raved about him. It was the year the Sixers had the big lineup. No, the, 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 uh, it's not the big lineup, I shouldn't say, because that was the bad year. The big yep. name lineup, the one with Butler and Redick and, and, and Harris joining Simmons and Embiid. And uh, they raved about his uh, defense of acumen and uh, just the kind of guy he was. And he left to join the Suns. And you had that great performance in the bubble last year for the Suns, where they almost made it interesting by winning eight in a row. And then uh, this year. So uh, Monty Williams, that's a big time coach uh, that not think a lot of other people are talking about. He could be a sneaky coach of the year candidate as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, man. He He's really taken this team and really kind of molded them into what he wants them to be. And that hasn't happened in a long time, almost over 10, 11, 12 years. They've sons have kind of been a rigmarole of coaches and they had that old lady complain to the owner about their team. So it's been, it's been quite the rough run for the sons, but now with getting Chris Paul and really getting an identity of what they want to do, this team seems to have a future that um, is good. So yeah, for sure. It's a matter of how long, they have with Paul because he's an older guy, but he's still playing well. And he, I think he's accepting a, a not a reduced role by any means, but a different role as he gets older. I think he's shooting a little less volume and he has the playmaking acumen. You know, he can dish off to shooters and they have a couple of shooters there. So I think there's a fit there uh, for, for Paul as he gets older too. For sure. A nice, fun, young team to watch. I really hope they get into the playoffs because that would be a great story. Again, they haven't made it since the 2009-10 season. So if they get into the playoffs, that will be a start for me, and then I'll pay more attention. Let's talk a couple of prominent players around the league uh, facing injury issues. Uh, Anthony Davis uh, out for now. He's actually out for more than four weeks, they're saying. He's got a calf issue and an Achilles issue. Uh, Kevin Durant's out for two weeks, hamstring, and Kawhi Leonard also out for two weeks. That's some big losses for – the Lakers, the Nets, the Clippers, and the big-time top 10 players, all of them, top five players, honestly, uh, for all those guys. So first question, which team would you say is best equipped to handle this injury? They're going to be without these guys for two to four weeks. You like uh, the Nets without KD? You don't like any of these teams. But who's best equipped? Nets without KD, Clippers without Kawhi, or the Lakers without Davis? 
Good question. I can't pick the Clippers, even though Paul George is having a spectacular year because Kawhi is such a big part of what they do. And I also cannot pick the Nets because um, even with having Harden and Kyrie, you don't know when Kyrie's going to play each night and then James Harden's going to have to be the lead dog. And then around him, it, the defense will always be an issue for me. So I'm going to once again pick the Lakers. They have LeBron in the lineup. They got some shooting around him. They have Gasol, Montrez Harrell. They still have a lot of their core pieces there. And even with AD, being just as big of a part as LeBron and probably his best compliment of a teammate that he's ever had. I still think the Lakers can easily manage this, could easily um, um, weather the storm and be afloat for the foreseeable future. I am going to go with the Nets, actually. I don't like what I've seen from the Lakers recently, um, particularly that loss to the Nets last night. They, they, this is very much Anthony Davis's team, too. Um, and they, listen, the offense is built around his partnership with him and LeBron, and they don't have anybody that can step into Davis's role with him out. You know, they, their other bigs are Gasol or, or uh, Harrell or Markeith Morris, who's also now injured. They don't have guys who can play Davis's role. It forced them to change the way they play. And yeah, LeBron can handle that, but can the others? That's the thing with them. And, uh, you know, for the Nets, I, I've actually I've liked what I've seen from recently with Harden and Irving. Okay, I like that I've seen a sort of a, sh- a switch going on. Harden's been running point more so, and Irving's been kind of playing two guard, which is different from the way they usually go. But it's benefited them both. Harden's taking the controls, and he's he's actually making he's he's making assists and getting a shot off. And Irving focusing just on shooting. I think that's been a boon for him too. You know, and defensively. Obviously, there's questions. You mentioned them. They don't. They're not a good defensive team. We've 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 uh, ragged on them before for that. But uh, that effort against the Lakers was a strong one last night, and they have won five in a row. They haven't had Durant, I don't think, for any of those five, or at least four of them. So to that point, I'm just going to go ride with the recent success and say I think the Nets can withstand the loss of one of those guys. If another one went down, they'd be in trouble. But they can withstand the loss of one. Now I'm looking at it, and you, and you making a valid point. Of course, for the Nets, it took them to lose to the Pistons to start turning the switch on in their head. Because of course, when you lose to to me, the worst team in basketball, that's when you're like, all right, now we got to start chugging away. So yeah, it has been impressive. But for me, just because of the pedigree and the namesake of this team, that's why I would go with the Lakers. But yeah, the uh, the Lakers that not a good loss last night. No. Okay, one more thing for basketball. All-Star Game starters have been announced. Yes, the game is happening. No, it shouldn't be, but here we are. Uh, Team East, go from guards to forward. Um, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, the two guards. Joel Embiid, the center. Giannis Antetokounmpo, one forward. And Kevin Durant, the captain, the other forward. I don't think there's any uh, major surprises there other than Kyrie getting the start just because – I know I mentioned he's been playing well re- recently. He's had a great season on the floor. He just, he's missed so much time between a couple of nagging injuries and his weird little vacation he took from the team that I wonder, I'm, I might have given um, Jalen Brown maybe a start. Uh, oh, okay. I don't like, right. I don't like him. He's a Celtic. He's a Celtic. I don't like him, but he's had a great season. Um, maybe Jalen Brown could have been deserving or um, a couple other guards. I mean, Kyrie, let's see, had a great year. I was surprised to see him starting, though, after missing all that time, all the turmoil. Did that, did that surprise you at all, Kyrie Irving, all-star game starter? No, because, again, this is a fan-voted thing, and the fans are always going to go with the biggest names, and, and fans want to see Kyrie Irving on that court being a starter. So it's not really that much of a surprise. Team West, the captain is LeBron James. He's flanked by Kawhi Leonard. Nicole Jokic is the center. And the backcourt has Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, and a lot of basketball Twitter and uh, experts had an issue with this one. 
Luka Doncic, huh? Over Damian Lillard. That seemed to be um, a bit surprising. And yes, the fan vote is a big part of this. There also, though, there is a, there's a coach vote and a player vote. And, and Doncic, he's, a, he's, a, he's having a... Uh, having an interesting year he has improved from three as the season's gone on it's actually hit his career averages so actually a little above so he's not he's, he's recovered from that very slow start from three that he had at the start of the year and he's having a great season but Damian Lillard I, I think uh he's just been so consistent all year not just recently that uh, I might have gone a uh, dame time uh, to start uh, in that all-star game but I'm sure he'll make it off the bench at the very least uh, you know, uh, that's a good point. I mean, to me, when I'm looking at Luca's numbers, I mean, he has his career high in averaging in points, career high in averaging in assists. Um, from three, he's improved. So he's having a, a nice season, but I, I guess I get what the fans are saying. But again, I, there's nothing more I can say really than blame mostly the fans because yeah. who has the most um, influence here. Doncic sure has also he, been the face of failure for the Mavs team that has uh, not lived yeah, up to expectations. Uh, the, with the Blazers, they, they've done better a better job than I thought. I really like some of their pieces they have there. I like Gary Trent Jr. a lot. I like what he's mm. brought to the table for them. So um, I, there is a point to be made there. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Lillard's going to play and Doncic's going to play. So there's not much more I feel like I can say other than that. We'll talk about the full all-star lineups when they are revealed. Um, you will see some difference uh, between the players, fans, and, and, and uh, coaches uh, it's always interesting, right? Uh, because Ben Simmons, I'll take him as an example. He was 11th or 12th in fan voting, but he was top five in both players and coaches. They know uh, who the best players are. Maybe their vote should matter a little bit more than the fans, uh, the way these things are decided. Uh, but it's, I digress. <laughs> with the fan, before we move on with the fan thing, it's, it's just always a way to make them feel like they're a part of something. Besides rooting for the teams itself, by doing the fan voting, you're making them feel more important, but sometimes there's a detriment to that where they have a certain bias and a preference that the players and coaches don't have. So let's talk a little football. Uh, it is off season, but it's, this is also probably the juiciest time of the NFL off season because there's yes, trade rumors and a couple of trades going down. Let's, let's talk about the big one elephant in the room here. Carson Wentz traded to Indianapolis for two picks, a third and a conditional second round pick. Now this second rounder, will probably become a first if Wentz plays 75% of the snaps, which also not a given, given his injury history, or if he plays 70% and they make the playoffs. Uh, I would I would bet, probably speaking, that would probably become a first. Um, so first, initial analysis, uh, I thought it was a fair deal. Uh, Wentz had a, I mean, listen, he's coming off a terrible year. He's a good player uh, track record-wise, but he he's coming off a horrible year. One of the worst that we've seen, uh, you know, for forever. Uh, and, and it really could have damaged his stock. I think the fact they got a, a pick that could easily become a first as a win. They weren't going to, they didn't want players. They weren't going to get players. They needed picks. They got one that can become a first. I think it has a good chance of becoming that first. It's pretty friendly, conditional uh, conditions there. You know, in the third rounder, it is what it is. They weren't going to get two firsts for this guy. You know, that, I think uh, they got what they could get. And the Colts, they get to move forward with a guy who played his best football under Frank Reich. And, um, you know, and uh, I think it's a good fit for the Colts team that has been really needing a quarterback ever since Andrew Luck's unexpected retirement that that closed their championship window uh, far too early. Now it's reopening a little bit just by getting Wentz. He's not Andrew Luck, but he he gives them a guy who can be a gunslinger, not as limited as Philip Rivers or Jacoby Brissett. This guy is a gunslinger. That'll give them the options, I think, to uh, 
to really legitimize that offense. I, I like this move for both teams. Ditto. I thousand percent agree with you. Um, the fact that the Eagles were able to get something as close to a first round pick for as bad of a year as Carson Wentz has had is a good thing for them. And for the Colts' sake, they kind of just bought low on a guy who was a number two overall pick and have a guy who has gotten uh, his best football out of him and can turn him into that star form once again. So that is why it's a completely fair deal for both sides. What went wrong for Wentz in Philly in, re- in retrospect? Um, and, and do you think it's correctable in Indianapolis? Or is he, is he permanently going to be damaged goods now? Oh, no, no. I think it is correctable, but I have a lot to say about this. What went wrong with Wentz in Philadelphia was just relationship between coach and player. It's all mental. It's, act- it, it's the mental translating to the physical. When Frank Reich left, Carson Wentz just couldn't find that same connection with all of the Philly QB coaches that came in. I read a really good article. I think it was by Ian Rappaport about this. It was really interesting how Wentz is the type of player that doesn't, that has to be coached hard because if he's not coached hard, then he likes to kind of, he knows he can take advantage of you and do what he wants to do. That's not really a good quality to have, but that's what I have read from articles and such. So with Wentz, it was all mental. And, and as soon as some coaches tried to do what Frank Wright tried to do, it just didn't work out work for Wentz. So he wanted to do his own thing. He decided that what he was doing was better. So he went onto the field and just kept making the same mistakes and didn't improve week to week. So it was overall a mental just collapse between him and then between Doug Peterson wanting to call his offense, Wentz maybe not liking some of the plays that Peterson was calling. So now that he's back with the person that got that, that uh, had the most success out of it or that got the most success out of him is completely correctable because of how much we know that Frank, that Carson Wentz loves Frank Reich. If they just do the same things and go back to the fundamentals and the basics, I think Indy could have a guy who will see a significant improvement, not MVP level, like other people have been saying, but a significant improvement. Yeah. You're, you're hitting the nail on the head on most of it. there. Uh, mental, I think is a big part of it. Listen, Carson Wentz is, he's had a reputation of being a difficult, stubborn teammate at times. And he's had the Philadelphia has been known for a, um, what'd you call a, um, uh, an, an entitled, a culture of entitlement to certain players, you could say, um, an elitist kind of, uh, kind of thing there. Um, Malcolm sure. Jenkins got uh, to run his mouth a lot over there. Um, Carson Wentz. Sean Jackson. Yeah. And Carson Wentz, he's not running his mouth, but he, he was, he was, he liked exceptions. It sounded like some of these things, he, you know, like you, like you mentioned, you know, it's all reports. We don't know how true they all are. Everyone's heard different things. And, but something went on there with him and, 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 and the coaching staff and Foles. And it really, it, I think it bothered him, uh, quite frankly, the way Philly, the way the Philly fans embraced Foles like they did um, and kind of threw Wentz under the bus. And I think getting out of the Philly media market, which I know a lot about as a Flyers and Sixers fan, um, I think it'll help him. Uh, he, he's going to do better in Indianapolis. Listen, they, that's a basketball area. I mean, they're football crazy too, for their Colts. Um, but at the end of the day, they, how many beat reporters might they have? Uh, one from each, from each organization in Philly, you've got a, you got a beat reporter, you got a radio host, you got the broadcast, you got, you got like 50 guys in this media scrum Indianapolis, five, four or five guys, you know, it's, it's a little different. Uh, I think it's going to help him there. Injuries. The big thing with Wentz though, that we just have no idea uh, because he's, he has not been healthy or good. Uh, or at the same time either um, since uh, since that 2017 season when he was an MVP candidate before he got injured. He has not been healthy in 18, and he was not good in 19 or 20. Well, he actually, was, he was pretty good in 19, and then he was, wasn't healthy in the playoffs. I should rephrase that. He was good in 19. 
it wasn't healthy in the playoffs. And then in 2020, it wasn't good. So, you know, he's they're taking a chance, but it's, it's not, it's not too, too steep a price to pay. I agree with they, you there. They are taking a chance, but I'm worried for them that they, they also have to hold a massive contract that Carson Wentz signed with the Philadelphia Eagles mm-hmm. as well. And, and yeah, you said it like with the media in Philadelphia, they can be very on top of you. It's a very intense market. And Carson Wentz, look, he came from South Dakota. He's a Southern boy. He's going near to the South. Okay. And maybe he likes that maybe a little bit low tempered environment more. Jordan, do you know where South Dakota is on the map? It's I'm very, not, it's I, very, I, I, very North. Okay. What I meant to say is he's, and also from, he's a, from North a, Dakota, boss. Hold on. Hold on. I'm what I was trying to say is a rural environment. Okay. Okay. That's it is rural there. It is rural. But yeah, that's what uh, I was. I wasn't trying to say like like south as in on location on the map. I meant south as in rural environment. Well, also North Dakota um, is where he where he Shoot. went to school. That's right. Um, I, one of the two. I, I should have been better with that. That's okay. It was not a jackrabbit. I love that name though. South Dakota State, I think, or is just South Dakota. The jackrabbit. He, he was a bison. He was a bison. Yes. yes. Um, Dakota sports. Not. A, not a ton of teams, but uh, they, they got some good ones there uh, for college sports, yeah, at least. they have Wentz and now potentially Trey Lance as well. So. And that women's basketball team, South Dakota, they're, they're, they're uh, legitimate. They're top 20 in the nation as well. Yeah, they we beat know. Quinnipiac one year. Stinks. They beat Quinnipiac one year. They were a really good team. One more quick thing. Um, I guess it's two, but it's, it's, a, it's a quick hitter. I want them both from you fast. Um, will he take Indianapolis, Wentz, to the next level? And, and what's the plan now in Philadelphia in terms of quarterback? I believe Wentz will take them past what they got to this year. And the plan now in Philly is to ride Jalen Hurts until they find someone they like even more. Yeah, that, that's, that's where they're at. It's, it's, I don't think Hurts is the guy either. They got to find their next guy. I'm with you there. Um, they'll ride him for now, but he's not the guy long term. We got another trade to talk about. It has, this one actually happened a while ago, but we never got around to talking about it. Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff and pieces. It involved Detroit, involved LA, of course. Stafford went to the Rams. Uh, the Lions got Jared Goff, two firsts and a third. And I guess the question of why is, is this a fair trade comes about because if Carson Wentz can't even get necessarily one confirmed first, Matthew Stafford gets two. You know, it was a, it was a, lot, it was a big price to pay uh, for yeah. Matthew Stafford. Do you think the Lions, uh, well, they made out like gangbusters, I think, in the trade. Do you think the Rams gave up too much? A little bit. Uh, I mean, Matthew Stafford is about 32, 33. I wouldn't have gave up two first round picks and a third for him, but I like the move for the Rams. I do think that golf has been so inconsistent and he hit his ceiling before that year when Sean Sean McVay's first year as the head coach of the LA Rams. And then they went to the Super Bowl and he played so badly there. And then ever since that game, he's just been so inconsistent. I like the fact that Matt Stafford's on their team, but I don't like what the Rams gave up for him to get him. So for the Lions sake, you had to take that deal. That's the best offer you're going to get for him. My problem is with the Lions is they have so much unprovenness on their team. Okay. They have golf now as their quarterback. They have a coach who I've said it again before MCDC, Motor City Dan Campbell, who likes to talk about more about the Patel attendance and coaching football. I have no idea what to expect from him. I have no idea what Anthony Lynn's going to do for their offense. And Mark Brunel is the QB coach. And they have a defensive coordinator that's never been a defensive coordinator before. So the, both teams, there have been some concerns there. But my initial reaction is I, I would choose L.A. to win this trade. Listen, L.A. had to make a win-now move. And that's that's the price you pay. The, the Lions had them where they wanted. They knew. They know the Rams are not going to get where they need to go with uh, with Jared Goff, a quarterback, with Matthew Stafford, 
who I've said before, he's never elevated players around him, but it's also fair to say he's never had players around him. You got to figure out where in the middle you lie there. Is it more on him and not being the guy? Or is it more on them building a bad team around him? I think some of it is both true, but you're going to see a chance now for Stafford to prove ultimately that he can be the guy with a, with a great team around him. He's got guys to throw to. He's got an underrated running back rotation and that defense. It's one of the best two, two or three defenses in the league. Aaron Donald's still there um, and, and, and game, wrecking games. And of course uh, guys in the secondary as well with Ramsey Listen, that, that that team now is Super Bowl or bust. So I don't mind giving up the first round picks because if you're Super Bowl or bust, the first round picks are going to be high anyway, uh, high in the bad way, high as in they're going to be in the 20s or 30s. And they don't need that right now. They need stars. I don't mind going star hunting for the Rams right now, given their circumstances um, and the Lions to make it work for their end. It's pretty simple. They just got to nail the draft picks. I say that's simple, but it's been hard for them. Um, Jeff Okuda. Maybe wanted a different guy at three overall this year. TJ Hawkinson in the top 10, good player. Is he a top 10 pick? I don't know. Uh, the Lions have had a heart. They never had anybody on defense either. Uh, you know, they, they just, they haven't been the best, the best drafters. So maybe this new regime can, can, can fix that somehow. But it's incumbent on the Lions to nail those picks because if you let Stafford go for just a couple of picks, they're good ones, but then you, you, you squander those picks then you've got nothing to show for it. So they've, they've got to uh, really improve in the drafting uh, to, for it to be a win for the Lions. Um, Dan, look, Bob Quinn, when he was the GM of that team, just rolled the dice, okay, and missed pretty much every single time yeah. he rolled that dice. So I'm, my concern is that Dan Campbell's the type of guy that wants a certain player. And I feel like the Lions are going to pick somebody that we don't expect with that high draft pick instead of picking the player that might turn out to be what they want him to be. So that's my concern with them. Let's talk uh, Deshaun Watson. He's still on the market. Uh, we've, we've talked about it a little bit before, but we'll, we'll revisit it now because draft season's coming up. And of course you want to move him before the draft because that's the team's biggest capital to give up for him. The Jets, the Dolphins have top three picks to offer. Where is this best fit for Deshaun Watson? I've said it before in our segment during class, the best fit is the Miami Dolphins, okay? I understand they have a young QB into a tug of Iloa. I know that it would be maybe that's the one thing holding you back from getting and moving on to Sean Watson, but Deshaun Watson is the type of player that's a win-now player. The Dolphins are the type of team that's a win-now team. It's a match made in heaven. If you get Deshaun Watson on your team, the Dolphins just become as good as the Bills are, and they can honestly make a serious run in the AFC throughout the playoffs. So that to me is my match made in heaven. And if you're the Texans, I don't care what Nick Casario has said. There is no way you hold on to him. No way, because you need a first round pick. You don't have any, you can't just hold on to him and then pick when you pick and not even try to invest or make a move. You gotta, you gotta do something. You gotta shake the dice here a little bit. I'll agree with you. It's the dolphins. Uh, I, I don't, I could see him to the jets ending badly because he would improve them. He would improve them so much. He's a top five NFL quarterback. I, I love watching him play, but he would come in with such immense expectations. And the Jets are still a very incomplete team around him. They have so many other areas that need improving uh, defensively. He's got, and he's got no weapons to work with at all. I could see that not going too well for the first couple of years. And then the, the, should we say the casual Jets fans blaming it on Watson, not, not the diehards that know what they're talking about, but the ones who are the casuals that call in, you know, to sports shows and complain, you know, would be said, oh, it's all Watson's fault. Ever since we got him, we're not winning. He was supposed to do it all by himself. They need more, I think. Watson's a great start, yeah, but they need more. And I don't know if he just Watson could get him where they need to go. Miami has that best case scenario, like you said, um, 
And I think Houston, they do have to trade him uh, just because of what was said by Watson pretty much. Um, ordinarily, I'd say, hey, you can, you can keep him around. But, uh, you know, with, I think too much has been said and too much has gone down. I think the relationship is uh, beyond saving. It would be the same thing as the Texans. It would be the same exact thing, except they have a slightly better talent all across the board. That's why I hold back on Jets. The Jets need to focus on other things for first before they, they need, what they need to do is potentially move on from Sam Darnold and get themselves some more picks and start building from there. I think they might owe it to themselves one more year with Darnold to try and get him something else though, because he's got nothing to work with. And no matter who the quarterback is, it could be Deshaun Watson. He's not going to be able to win serious games throwing to Braxton Berrios. You know, they they need more. They need more. I I think they might owe one more year with Darnold if you give him that chance. Yeah. Braxton Berrios does not appreciate that slight, but um, I understand what you're saying and they don't have a lot of weapons to work with. So another quarterback popped up on the rumor mill. His name is Russell Wilson. Um, is he justified for his frustration, uh, Jordan? Because he popped up after the Super Bowl, is after he won Man of the Year, um, or he was excuse me, he's there for Man of the Year. I don't think did he did he win it? Did he win it? I forget if he won it or not. But he was there for. I think he's a past winner. Um, anyway, he was there with Goodell, and he got people talking. What was he talking about? You know, with Roger Goodell? Because then a few days later, this this news comes out that he's frustrated with Seattle, and. Uh, yeah, yes, he has a right to be frustrated. Russell Wilson is uh, Russell Wilson's a little older than we think as well. He is uh, 33 years old. Yeah, you know he's at the point in his career where it's 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 getting time. It's, it's 32, I should say. He's not 33, but give and take. You know he's at the point in his career where he needs something uh, else to go with him. He's still smacking in his prime. Maybe a, he's he's trending downwards at it, but he's still in his prime. Uh, he's not near the back. He's not at the back nine yet. You know, he's still there where he can win. Um, they haven't done enough for him. I don't think, uh, I think some of that I've said before, I think Pete Carroll's got a shelf life that that's expiring soon. Uh, their defense has been a sieve for the last couple of years and the offensive Sim. line does not protect him. And it's, it's, you can say truthfully that Wilson, uh, he, he lines himself up for some of these sacks cause he hangs onto the ball a long time and he likes to go deep and he's very mobile. But still, he has taken more sacks, I think, than anybody in history to start a career, which is over all the years he's been through. So it's crazy. It's still it's the worst ever. You know, and yeah, he, he's a guy who's going to get hit a lot just by the style he plays, but they have not helped him one bit. I don't mind him saying he's a little frustrated with it because he's always been a good soldier for Seattle. And, uh, you know, if this is controversy for Russell Wilson saying that they need a little more is just speaking the truth. Um, I don't have a problem with that. If it becomes a thing where it gets out of hand. And it becomes like Watson or, um, you know, a relationship beyond repair. He gets a little snippy like the Rodgers thing with, with the Packers. He might be having something there. But right now, I don't think it's uh, a problem for Wilson to be airing a grievance that is definitely truthful. Seattle has not given him enough to work with these past few, few years. No, that, that's where he's – I mean, look, right now I will admit that these are some of the best receivers he's ever had with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. But other than that, the dude is running for his life constantly. And he has a right to be frustrated because this is a team that, because of him, makes the playoffs every year. But ever since they lost to the Patriots when they went to the back-to-back Super Bowls, haven't been back to that same – heights okay they've been there they've been in the playoffs but especially I think the low point was in that game against the Rams their offense was so sputtering they did not look good at all and he's just really frustrated that he doesn't have really a consistent enough running game to rely on even with a nice player like Chris Carson sometimes his receivers can go a bit silent his defense is just as bad as it's ever been and Pete Carroll is just 
throughout the entire season has said, Oh, we're not prepared for this. We didn't know. We don't know. Is he David Quinn? Like what, 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 like, what are we doing here guy? Like, come on. Unrelated, but still somewhat relevant to the quarterback carousel. What's the future of quarterback in new England? Do you say right now? Cause you know, Cam Newton's not coming back and you know that uh, the kid from Auburn Stidham is not the answer either. Uh, and Brian Hoyer sure as heck isn't the answer. So they need then something new is going to happen for the Patriots this year. They're not going to have a high pick. So they're not going to be able to draft Wilson or Fields or certainly not Lawrence. They're, they're going to need to pick up someone off the scrap heap again and try Cam Newton 2.0. Who, who might that be? Ooh, I was going to say maybe they, they try to go a Trey Lance route in the draft, but in terms of quarterbacks off the market, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, yes. What it was that, always that, meant to that be. That's exactly what I was looking for. How about that? After the what a career for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? To, to be the one, the diamond that Bill Belichick has always wanted all along, and for him to reach the heights of a Super Bowl because of a defense of the San Francisco 49ers to come right back to where he belongs to—that is a perfect fit again, Tom. Good one, good one. Yeah, I mean it's it's been mentioned out there before uh, as a potential as a potential move. I think it's one that does make sense. I think San Francisco could use a different look. Um, maybe a younger look, and I think that's a good fit in New England. He certainly was going to be Belichick's guy before Brady just went on a end of career tear that was unexpected. But he also you know. uh, Brady went on the uh, the ego trip with Robert Kraft that said, "I don't want to, I don't want him to be here." The so. guys won. The guy won three Super Bowls. At the end of his career with New England that was no, completely I, I, unexpected. Tom, I know this. I respect all that. I'm saying that like I'm just basing it off the fact of Seth Wickersham's report. That's all I'm doing. That's that report's been spotty before. That one's that one's been that one. I wasn't, I don't know. I, I listen, Brady, he's won, he won three Super Bowls when nobody gave him a chance to win any at that point of his career. The plan was for Garoppolo to take over, and then Brady just started winning Super Bowls left and right again. You know, what are you gonna do? But I, I understand it. So, a new nickname for Jimmy should not be PS Jimmy, but New England Jimmy. That really what it should be. All right. Um, one head coaching hire you liked, one head coaching hire you didn't like. Um, why, why, don't you, why don't you go first? Because I know you you get some thoughts on a couple of these head coaches. Just I narrow do. it down to one for each category. Okay. Um, so I personally loved the Urban Meyer hire for the Jaguars. Ooh. I think that team hasn't had any sort of big-time attention in a long time. Ever since Tom Coughlin was their head coach, they needed a guy to come in there and kind of re-spark the Jaguars' culture and renovation. That guy is Urban Meyer. And imagine what happens now when you have a guy like Urban Meyer, knowing that he's unproven in the NFL, maybe it doesn't work, but it's worth a shot at this point. I know his health is a concern, but it's worth a shot. He has a great track record, okay? And the fact that they can get Trevor Lawrence and the combination of two just puts off fireworks and awesome images in my head. Now, the one that I don't like, and this is might surprise you a little bit, which I'm going to pick, is the Chargers one. Now, I know Brandon Staley is a really good defensive coordinator. I've heard really good things about him. But that is not what they needed. The Chargers needed a guy to go in there and kind of retool and kind of a mentor their budding superstar in Justin Herbert. And the fact that they got Brandon Staley, I don't know if he can do that. I would have gone with a guy like Brian Dable of the Bills who – proved the Bills offense into the juggernaut what it is because of him mostly he, he his coaching track record is also outstanding so I think the Chargers went in the wrong direction so that's why I don't like their hire I will go with Arthur Smith uh Falcons as the coach that I like the most mm. um I liked what he did with Tennessee that was a that was one of the league's most productive offenses this year passing and running 
And uh, I think Atlanta, one last gasp with Ryan and or getting younger as well. Uh, you know, excellent offensive guy to bring in. I, I like that move. Um, and then defensive, uh, excuse me, a move I didn't like. Um, I got to go Urban Meyer. Jacksonville's had so many concerns with their culture for years, years with their culture problems. And they bring in Urban Meyer, who has had nothing but culture problems for the last five years between his knowledge of domestic violence that he did nothing about. I can't argue that. When I, between, yeah. between bringing in uh, an assistant coach and then subsequently letting him go. Uh, this is a guy, a guy who had, uh, who had been who had made racist remarks that, that you, know, you saw that headline a week ago, right? Uh, the, the, the Jaguars assistant who lasted Chris one Doyle, day. Yeah. That, okay. That's not a great look. I, I will mean, admit that. Urban that Meyer, he's a smart college football coach. He's a smart mind. He was actually really good on TV. I mean, he's a smart mind. He knows his football, but this is not what the Jaguars need. This is not what Trevor Lawrence needs. They need a reboot. They don't need a, a retread of the guy who's had known culture problems for a team that got imploded because of culture problems when they were most recently good, which was 2016 I, or 17. I, I still think they should give this a shot. Okay. When you've had Gus, Bradley, Jack Del Rio. I mean, you got to go somewhere where that gives you a spark. And I understand that he's not the greatest guy in the world. He's done so many, many bad things. But I, you can't just keep doing what you've been doing and go from Doug Marone to Jack Del Rio to Gus Bradley here. Okay? Yes, because what the Jaguars needed is a guy who has known character concerns. That's what they needed right now. Uh, I, don't, I don't, and a, and a fraud, as pointed out in that Tom Rinaldi piece. Remember that culture? You mentioned culture. Urban Meyer does not keep to his culture. He, he quoted saying it himself in that great interview we watched in class. We will see what happens. I'm imagining just such a rich, enriched offense on the field within Jacksonville. Okay, that's all I'm imagining in my head right now. And what I'm not, I'm imagining some dysfunction in LA with Brandon Staley as head coach. Me too. Uh, that, that was a good pick. Um, MLB, let's talk big contract, came out of nowhere. Fernando Tatis Jr., 14 years, $340 million. It's a huge extension with the Padres out of nowhere. It's the second richest contract in baseball behind Mike Trout's massive extension. That was over $400 million. Um, let's, let's get into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit. Uh, Tatis Jr. still had five years of team control left um, before he would have hit the market for the first time. So essentially, this 14-year deal buys out those arbitration years in which Tatis Jr. would have made relatively little. And it also provides nine years of his free agency. It's almost like signing a nine-year deal after those arbitration years to go with the buyout as well. And when it all, is, uh, when it all comes down to is an average annual value of $24 million a year. So it's a gamble here for the Padres and Tatis. We'll have to see who's right. Will Tatis Jr. be able to provide an average of $24 million worth of value over the next 14 years? It's really hard to tell because right now he is so good. I don't know how much better you can get because of how good I think that he is, but I think the move is a little bit premature. I think if if you the Padres, like if they made had a little bit more postseason, I guess, experience, then I would understand it. But like I understand the fact that you want him on your team. He's a cornerstone player. He's a really good player, and you honestly should re-sign him. But it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And um, for me, the bigger risk that was taken was from the Padres' point of view because you're banking on this guy being that type of player for this amount of time. And as good as he is now, like I said, I don't know how much better you can get. So they easily took the bigger risk. Tatis is a smart man. He would have been a fool to turn this down, okay? He said, let's go. This is well, going on my bank account. Well, right? there are some saying the opposite, actually, because – Tatis Jr. 
he's going to be, listen, he would not have sniffed $20 million for the next five years. He wouldn't have just the way arbitration works as an average annual value. But should he was, should he have remained healthy for the next five years and hit free agency, he would have been worth a deal easily over 30 million a year in average annual value. So they showed him the money up front, 300. And that's a heck of a lot of money. There's a chance though, Tatis Jr. could have earned over that span maybe $400 million. And he took the money up front. The thing is, what are we arguing about here? It's yeah, apples you're and oranges. picking apples and it's, oranges it's, it's, at it's, this it's point. 320, it's 340 or 400, you know? And for a guy who, you never know what can happen over 14 years, take the 340, you know? So that's what happened. Uh, in the end, he might have cost himself a little bit of money, which just sounds crazy at first, but that's only if he stays completely healthy and improves. So yeah, uh, it's a big risk for uh, both players and team. But again, they're paying for the first few years of this deal, uh, more so than the last. We talked about this before. Uh, you know, I don't, I've got no, no issue with that aspect of it. Uh, going all in, uh, Padres, we talked about that before. And we'll have more on that in our full MLB season preview to be coming in the upcoming weeks. But uh, a little bit here, Jordan, on rules, because uh, we haven't talked about that. Um, thoughts on the upheld rules? Seven inning doubleheaders, runner on second base and extras, no universal DH in 2021 uh do you like any of these rules it's uh it's okay so i know i I at least understand why they're doing the seven inning ones just because they want to get the players in and out of there because of covid concerns but i'm someone who's more traditional when it comes to baseball so i'm all about the nine innings and keeping things as normal as possible the runner on second I, i i don't like I just think that you're kind of putting something there that doesn't need to be there. Just kind of let the game organically develop. You put a runner on second, like it's not an automatic guarantee that the runner on second scores from home. Pretty close. <laughs> it makes it more likely, but it's not a guarantee. Like it still have to be work to be done. And the universe is close. <laughs> what? It's pretty close to a guarantee. I, I don't know, but like I. That's what we saw this year. There were very few long extra inning games. Okay. But what I was going to say for the universal DH, I don't, I don't like that one because I think it needs to be there. I think at this point, it, it, we're not serving anybody any favors by having the pitchers go up and hit. As much as I kind of like seeing that because it can be fun sometimes, I think it's never we, fun. At, at this point, we can have a DH in both leagues. It's never fun. Pitchers hitting stinks. They, have, they collectively have hit under 150 for basically eternity. That's not a guy we need to see hitting. Uh, MLB went 0 for 3 with this one. And I hate dragging them, but because uh, you know, big baseball guys here, but they went over three, seven in double headers. Nope. Runner on second and extras, not buying that. And the universal DH teams already got used to it last year. And some national league teams, I think we're starting to, starting to like it a little bit more, starting to build for it. You know, now, now, now you get that Mets problem, for example. They got two first basemen on their roster, and one of them's going to have to play left field or something. You know, Dom Thanks. Smith. It's, it's not going to be pretty. Um, so there's a couple issues there. Um, and also no expanded playoffs. Another rule that came out there, the players, um, the players don't seem to want that one. Uh, they're, they're working on it. They're working on figuring out how expanded they should be. Uh, and that I'll, I'll be willing to check in with when they decide how expanded they're going. It shouldn't be as expanded as last year. Um, <clears throat> but one more little tidbit here of MLB news before we move on entirely. Um, Tim Tebow retired 
Mets legend, Tim Tebow. Oh, uh, I mean, you threw that in, you threw this in here. I don't even really know what you want to get out of the segment. Because I, I this guy's, a, in this a, guy's a, a hack. Phenomenal human being. He's it was a hack a big, who couldn't play baseball. Hold on. Hey, it was a big deal that he played another sport, tried to actually go into a different sport. That's a very commendable act. It's really hard to do. A re- generally really good human being. College football legend, okay? I, I don't think anyone truly thought that he was going to light up the baseball world, but I still think it's commendable, and he's a big enough name to where we can discuss it. And I sent him my regards. He's a phenomenal human being. Um, his, the era begins and ends in Port St. Lucie, but uh, congrats to him. Great Good guy, great. bad baseball player, should have retired years ago, should have never oh. started with baseball. Wow. Um, you wow. Know. Good guy, halfway decent football player, terrible baseball player. That's Jeez. where we're at. Uh, okay. Fine. Um, hockey. Let's do a little. Uh, believe it or not, you know I like this game. Um, and we, you know, where we we look at a couple of teams here, and we talk about where they are in the standings, and if we believe it will continue, or we do not believe it will continue. Uh, let's start off with your Devils, Jordan. They have uh, returned from their COVID. Um, what'd you call it? Their COVID uh, absence. Absence. COVID absence for f- two weeks, and they have won two games since they've come back. Uh, they're five points out of a playoff spot. They do also have uh, four or five games in hand. So we'll see. Believe it or not, this Devils team is as good as its record says it is. Six, three, okay. and two. Okay, I'll start. I'll preface this by saying, look, okay, they came back in their last two games. They've scored eight goals. And Mackenzie Blackwood has picked up right where he left off in the goaltender standpoint. But I, I don't believe it. This team is too young right now. Um, their third period defense needs to get cleaned up. Their power play is really bad, and they still need to find a little bit more secondary scoring. And Kyle Palmieri has had a disappointing season, even though he had a really good night last night against the Bruins, even though uh, with those two goals right there. But I do not believe it for the Devils. I'm really excited right now. They're playing great. But I, I, there's, I, as much as I want to believe it, as much as I really want to come at you and say, yes, I just can't do it. I believe the Devils kind of are where they are right now. They're another sixth. I think they're going to end up fifth. Um, just behind the Islanders. I think they could be a more exciting and better team, the Islanders on some nights, but over the course of the season, you'll see the Islanders experience pay off and their defensive yep. acumen. I don't trust the devil's defense as much goaltending. Yes. Good kid. And uh, they got some better scoring than I would have thought um, for some of these guys too, uh, especially if Palmieri gets going, but you know, over the course of the season um, I'll go just short of a playoffs. So I don't quite believe it lasting this season, but I think your future is bright. Me too, um, but, but for the now, I'm going to be really excited to every game like tomorrow against the Buffalo Sabres and Victor Olofsson. So Toronto Maple Leafs, number one in the league, 13-3-2. Believe it or not. Believe it. They have Austin Matthews, who has gone on a absolute tear. I think he's got, what, like 16 goals in 16 games, something like that. This dude is yeah. just exploding. Yeah. John Tavares is playing his part. Um, I, I want to credit our buddy Matt by talking about the leadership again that we talked about before that Toronto brought in with Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons. I think that's exactly what they need. And now this team is just really taking on the identity that we all thought they were going to be for quite some time. Now this team is legit. I do believe in the Maple Leafs. I do too. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, well. I don't know if I believe that this is the year they finally go deep in the Stanley cup playoffs, just because they have a long history of cup uh, playoffs and choking. But they are going to win this division. Uh, they are going to steamroll to uh, 
probably the one seed in the East or not the East, uh, the, the North and the, cause they're not doing it differently this year. They will storm the one seed in the North division. Um, and they, they should make that final four. I was not sure how deep they go, but they could, they, I think this is the, they make that final four. Also Joe Thornton point per game um, after an injury, he's back point per game player. Fun story there. Absolutely. Um, Florida Panthers. They're leading the central. The central is all topsy turvy. We're going to get to the rest of it in a second. They're atop the central. They're 10, two and two. Do you believe that? Oh my God. Uh, okay. So my answer is going to be, I do believe that they are a good team, yeah. but yeah. I don't believe the record is going to be as good as that. But I, so it's a bit of both. I think this team has got a lot of nice pieces there. Okay. Aaron Eckblad, Keith Yandel, uh, Carter Verhage, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau, and then Bobrovsky and Ned. This team's got a lot of pieces there. And it's really all about bringing it together on a consistent night. And they have had a really good start. And I do believe that, I, that it, it's going to continue, but not at that rate. Uh, I can't believe it with the Panthers. Um, Bobrovsky's been a sieve, by the way. I don't know if you know his numbers. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you, you're probably not aware of his numbers. He's got an 88% save percentage and a 3.3 goals against. I'm aware that he hasn't been great, Everyone else for them is. Chris been. Dreiger has been the story for them. It took him seven years uh, to make an, his NHL debut after being drafted in the third round. And he has been uh, the saving grace for them between the pipes. That said, I'm not sure if I can count on him as the season goes on. I'm going to need to see more from that. Um, so no, I'm not going to believe it with the Panthers. I think uh, they might get the, they could get a playoff spot potentially as that four seed. I don't believe them leading this division though. And we'll get into why in a second um, in Tampa Bay and Carolina. I mean, they're still there. Even Dallas could play better than they have. Um, there's no way Florida wins this division. So no, I don't believe that. Uh, but one more team, in this division too, before we move out of it, out of the, out of the, uh, the central Chicago Blackhawks, they're second right now in the division uh, nine, five and four, 22 points. Do you believe? Uh, see, I don't. I don't think none of us believe they're going to be second. But do you believe in a playoff spot for the Blackhawks or not? I still don't. I know they have some nice pieces there in, in Alex the Brinkin, Dominique Kubalik, and then and obviously they still have the remnants of Patrick Kane. But I, this team just doesn't really have consistent goaltending. I don't know how much this is going to last, but I just don't believe in the Blackhawks. No, me neither. They've played more games than anybody at this point, or in that division at least, uh, which I think has something to do with it. Um, their points percentage is fourth best, even though they're second team. So I think once the game's even out, you'll see the Blackhawks dip a little bit. Uh, I don't, I don't quite believe that to last uh, one more move. Uh, Honda, Honda West division. Oh, the NHL got me to say the ads because it shows up on their website. Thanks. Oh, NHL. Way, to, way to really knock up the car there, Tom. Yeah, th- thanks NHL. You got me to say the, uh, the advertisement by hammering it in our face. Every time uh, the new branded divisions, uh, I don't know how much a fan I am of that. Regardless, the West Division, um, Arizona Coyotes are in the and in, in they're in the they're in the playoff hunt. They're fourth right now. Um, do you believe that they're that fourth team in the West Division or not? I don't think so. I know that uh, Darcy Kemper's been pretty good for them because I have him on my fantasy team. I also know that Clayton Keller is good for them and Oliver Ekman Larson. But outside of that, I just I don't know if they have enough star power. I like Minnesota a little bit more than uh, Arizona right now. So I'm going to go Minnesota as that fourth team. I'm not sure I believe the Coyotes to make it. I feel like they're a little dysfunctional organization more times than not. They've gotten a little lucky recently. I don't know if I see it lasting. Um, So that's our Believe It or Not segment. We'll have more hockey talk next week. And uh, before I move on, I I found a little stat of the week here um, that I think is worth pointing out. Connor McDavid. Got his 500th point the other night, and he got it in his 369th game. 
that is tied to Sidney Crosby for the eighth fastest uh, uh, amount of games to get that 500 points. And also, he got his 500th point uh, faster than he got his 400th point, you know, for the next 100. And he got that 100 faster than the, than the previous 100. So the point being, he's getting better as time goes on. It's taking him fewer games to get the next level of 100 points. McDavid just keeps getting better and better. And uh, people need to uh, ex- experience greatness and watch this guy and check him out because this guy is uh, he's, he's at Crosby levels already. You know, he's, he's there. He just doesn't have the national notoriety because they don't have the playoff success. But he is every bit of what Crosby was when he came up 15 years ago. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. It's, it's an amazing stat, amazing success so far for him. And I just hope that in the NHL or outside of it, we just don't go numb to it because sometimes – when we have someone that is so great, we're just so used to it that we don't truly appreciate it. So I just hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Mike Trout, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> we know who they are. We know who they are. Well, you know, we appreciate them on overtime radio. I know we do. Uh, let's get into our picks of the weekend. Uh, we said that, you know, we don't have NFL to pick exclusively. So we'll get a little creative. Last week was NASCAR. This week, some um, premium hockey games outdoors at Lake Tahoe. It looks beautiful. At first, I was like, "Yeah, this is a little gimmicky." Then I saw it, and I was like, "Maybe they got something here." Uh, I'll give them. I'll give. I like. I'm gonna watch uh, for sure both these games, and they're good games too. Uh, first one is Saturday. That's tomorrow. Uh, Vegas, technically at Colorado. They're the home team. Uh, who you got in that battle of the West uh, Division? Vegas or Colorado? Gonna be a good game. I know that Robin Leonard is out for the uh, Golden Knights. And I forget who's out for the avalanche. I, I think pretty it's much McKinnon. everybody. Oh, they did get McKinnon back. Okay. So they got him back. Uh, it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to give the edge to Vegas, even with flurry and net. I just think they got this one. Well, I will too, because flurry has been far better than Leonard. You gotta, yeah. if you haven't been aware of that flurry has been terrific this year. Leonard has been a, been a sieve. No, I've uh, been aware because Leonard's been on my fantasy team and he just looks really bad so far. You're, you're very aware. Um, yeah, I go Vegas because preseason I picked them to win the cup. And if to do that, they're gonna have to beat Colorado. One particular regular season game is not indicative of a playoff series, but good place to start national TV. Let's see if Vegas win this one in their first outdoor game. Also now we got up next flyers and Bruins the next, next day. I don't know why these teams are playing at Lake Tahoe. Hey, just um, enjoy it. Appreciate it. I wish I could, but six of my team's best players are out on COVID reserve. Um, right. Some are positive, some are negative. The Flyers without Giroux, Voracek, Konechny, Lawton, uh, Lindblom. Uh, it, it just goes on and on. I can't, in a good conscience, pick them to beat Boston in this game. Having said that, Philadelphia has lost four straight to Boston. They're all close games. They're not going to, how could they lose five straight to Boston? Like, and, and sometimes teams, they get a little bit of, uh, they get a little bit of momentum. They had a good finish last night and screw it. I'm going to go flyers because <laughs> hockey, because hockey is a wonky game when it comes to picking predictions. You should never bet on hockey because anything can happen any given night. It's not like football or basketball where the best team wins. I'm going to pick up set and say the COVID shorthanded flyers win this game because I liked the way they fought back against the Rangers last night. And I think that that along with the, uh, the, the, the spotlight of the moment might get them a little jazzed and maybe uh, an unsung hero gives us a fun moment and an outdoor game. And it's a little bit of fanship lying in there. I'll go flyers just for fun. Give me another outdoor win after so many outdoor losses. 
Um, yeah, once again, Flyers in that spot. And if there are any um, FanDuel people hearing this, uh, you did not like to hear what you just said about not betting on hockey, but it is what it is. Uh, a prop but, bet, maybe, <laughs> but a game bet? Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, the, but uh, for as long for picking this game, um, I I just cannot pick Philadelphia here. There's so much odds stacked against them with all these good players that are out and Boston. Um, uh, they they have seemed to have Philadelphia's number all year long. And yet, like you said, it, hockey is a wonky game. But I gotta pick the Bruins again. I that like they I I have to. Well, the Devils coming off a victory off the Bruins. Flyers. I know, well I know, but the, it was it was guys. closer than you thought last night in the third period. They dominated for two periods. The Devils did in the third period. Their defense kind of wonk wobbles a little bit. So and it didn't fall over. Give them that. Um, Say so that. Yeah. That's, uh, that that's gonna wrap this week of overtime radio. Uh, it's been a fun trip around the four major sports. More of that to come next week. And you know where you know what to do now by now. Same time, same place. Always a blast bringing it to you guys in our last semester at QU. For Jordan Wolf, I'm Tom Krasnowski. This has been Overtime Radio. Stay safe, everybody.